officer. Your work is ingenious. It's quality work. And there are simply too many notes. That's all. Just cut a few and it'll be perfect. Make me famous through the world, dear God. Make me immortal. I never knew that the music like that was possible. I was staring through the cage of those ridiculous ink strokes at an absolute beauty. Whoops, I dropped all my papers. They just came crashing to the floor. Uh, welcome to the second episode of the Compose Pile. I'm your host, Sean Patrick Hannafin. Hopefully today on the show we can actually finish up Dragon of the Mist. I don't know how much longer that'll take. Let's see, is there anything in the musical news? Not really. There never is, because music is boring. However, Sweeney Todd did win two Golden Globes. Golden Globes don't matter at all unless a movie that you like won some. And Sweeney Todd was a pretty good movie, so if you haven't seen it yet, you should probably go see it, and you should love it. If you don't love it, something's wrong with you. And then also Ratatouille got, of course, like, it has any competition. Uh, but that's a good movie, especially for anybody who likes... um. It has a lot of kind of art philosophy subject to it in regards to critics and people with egos and uh, what is good art and what is talent. I don't know. It also has pretty good music by Michael Giacchino, I want to say his name is, but I don't know. I really don't know how to pronounce his name. Um, but it has good music, so you should also get the soundtrack to it. Or not, I don't really care. I wanted to talk a little bit about writing melodies to chord progressions. Uh, mostly because when we, when I go over to the Dragon of the Mist part, that's, there's like an entire section of a part where I had a chord progression and I wrote a bunch of melodies to it. Which is kind of what I did with some with a lot of well a lot of my material in general is done that way where I have a chord progression and then I write the melody to it instead of the other way around uh there are I've heard it said by other people I would never say such a thing but I've heard it said by other people that they don't like doing that because they feel more restricted doing that but if you feel restricted doing that then you don't I guess have much talent as a melody composer. <laughs> uh, no, it. I, I, you know, I can see where that argument comes from because it seems like you have to write as if as if you think the melody would be restricted because you have to write it to a certain chord progression. I. I okay, I have to admit, I really don't understand the argument because for any chord progression, you could have so many infinitely varieties of melodies to say that you know you if you feel limited by having a chord progression then i don't i don't know how i uh, there are so many possibilities if you feel restricted then i don't maybe you're just not thinking correctly on the other hand it's it it in a sense can be easier to write without a chord progression already set for you because you don't have to think about it already matching something. On the other hand, it might even be easier because at least you have a sense of where you're going with the melody. So uh, it really depends on what you feel like doing, what kind of mood you're in, and maybe how much experience you have doing it both ways. I've done it both ways. I don't know if I'm an expert on doing it both ways. I don't know if you can be an expert on doing it both ways. Uh, but I, I, what I tend to do is I start out with the melody and then I harmonize it and then I take that harmony and write a different melody to it so that I'll have melodies that use the same chord progression and then I can maybe use them together or something like that. 
which is kind of what I do in Dragon of the Mist, and we'll get to that part. Hopefully. Uh, well, not hopefully, definitely. Uh, so, writing melodies to chord progressions. I, I think it can also be a good exercise uh, when you're writing a melody to chord progression because it is a good exercise. Well, what, okay, for example, one thing I did because I was interested in doing it was uh, taking a um, some harmony, harmonial accompaniment uh, composed by Mozart that Mozart had used in one of his pieces, taking some of Mozart's harmony and basically replacing his melody that he had for that harmony with my own melody. Which I think can be a good experience, good practice, good good practice experience, because it can give you a chance to maybe write a melody to a harmony that you might never have come up with yourself anyway. Uh, for well, it, you know, depending on how for how long you've been composing and whatever, I don't know. Um, but for example, just going through Mozart's harmony for. Uh, this piece that I selected, he uses, yeah, he uses some, uh, I think, dominant sevenths or some kind of sevenths, and some, he goes into the harmonic minor, which I myself have never done before, I don't think. Not that I can recall, anyway. If I, by writing a melody to this uh, Mozart harmony, then I can at least have that experience and maybe become more familiar with it to the point where I can put it in one of my own pieces. Uh, so, if you tend to compose, when you're composing and you find that you keep using the same harmonies over and over again, because, I don't know, maybe that's what you're used to or maybe that's what your mind always wants, whatever, it might be a good idea or at least good practice or a good experience or whatever if you take some harmony from some other piece or you know maybe even try to create your own interesting chord progression and then write a melody to that so I'm writing a melody or I actually already did I wrote a melody to Mozart's one of Mozart's pieces I, I yeah I wrote the melody to the harmony uh, from one of Mozart's pieces. I'm just going to play the harmony here so you can see. You'll probably recognize it because it's a very famous harmony, I guess you could say. It goes to one of his very famous symphonies, so you'll be able to recognize it right away. goes like this. that's of course from Mozart's 40th symphony uh, first movement um, I can go ahead and play that same harmony with the melody that Mozart uses and that goes something like this Um, or something like that. Uh, I don't know. I just don't listen to Mozart that often. So that's what Mozart came up with. And who knows what he probably wrote the melody as he was writing the harmony. Who knows how he wrote it. Um, or he probably just asked his father to write and his father did all the work. <laughs> okay, probably not for the 40th symphony. That's probably like the first two or three. Mozart was a genius. He never got any help from anyone. Okay. They're happy? Okay. So here's the melody I wrote for that same harmony. goes like this. With my melody. Mozart's harmony. Holy cow. 
I'm better than Mozart. Well, at least I think so. I, if you don't think so, then that's that's your opinion. So that was basically the melody I came up with to go with Mozart's harmony, which was pretty simple. Mozart's, uh, you know, he only has like three chords in the first eight measures of, of his Symphony 40, so it wasn't extremely difficult harmonic analysis to even try to do something like that. And even, you know, you don't even really have to do much harmonic and uh, harm, whatever you call it, analysis. You don't really have to analyze the harmony that much to write a melody to it. As long as you know how to read music, if you know how to read staves of music, if you know how to read, in this case, the alto cliff, which is the violas are playing a lot of the harmony. All you have to do is basically look at that and see what notes are in the harmony and then basically use those notes in the melody so basically if you have a you know he starts out on the um on a minor triad like you know i could play it on the keyboard you know he starts off with a minor triad with the uh, but of course he's playing some some kind of weird I can't really read music, so who knows. Um, but he's, you know, playing it in some pattern, so it doesn't sound exactly like that. But, you know, it's that chord. For the, like, first four measures, it's... it's so all you really have to do when you're writing the melody is, you know, part of it is just having a sense of melody, which I think you can really only get by thinking about melodies in your head and by just fiddling around with the piano and just trying to get on the piano what you hear in your head and just, you know, hearing a fragment of a melody and trying to hear the rest of the melody in your head. Basically, that's just what melody sense is. If you don't have melody sense, then I'm sorry, you can never be a composer. You should just quit now and never try to do it. Because it cannot be taught. It's innate. <laughs> uh, and you ha and there's no hope for you at all. So stop trying. But if you do have a good melody sense, then you are in luck. <laughs> that means you can be a composer. In fact, that's almost all you need. Well, I guess that's arguable. But, you know, okay, so you need a sense of melody. Hopefully, maybe. If you don't if you don't have a sense of melody, I don't I don't know what to tell you. Maybe uh try being a music teacher. <clears throat> uh but other than that, uh, some of the things that you need to you know, other than that it can be pretty easy. All you have to do is make sure most of the notes in your melody on that measure are in the harmony, are part of the harmony. That is pretty much it. Um, especially if they're uh, notes that are on the beat. If the note that's on the beat is not a note of the harmony, then depending on what note it is, it might create a um, a kind of attention that needs to be resolved kind of thing for example if you're on the uh for example if if you have a c major chord which would sound like this so the c major chord has a c e and g those three notes are in the c major triad wow i have some mad keyboard skills there so if you're composing a melody in which the first uh, measure has a C major chord, uh, and if you do a, um, a D as the first note on the beat, then you'll get that tension and it'll sound like it needs to be resolved by the D moving to a C or up to an E. So you could go like this. Or... But if you just leave it with as a D, it'll sound kind of strange. Because, you know, it sounds like it needs to be resolved. If it doesn't sound like it needs to be resolved to you, then you have bad taste in music and you shouldn't be a composer. Uh, otherwise, you could use 
the you know any of you could easily use any of the notes that are already in the triad that's using a C as the first note or using a E as the first note or using the G as the first note Um, and of course, I'm just making up phrases to follow it. Uh, if you use the fourth as the first note, that'll also probably have some kind of a tendency to go to the notes around it, the E or the G. If you start on A or B for that C major triad, it'll sound really kind of weird. The point is, if you don't, if if on a beat, it really depends. You just have to kind of experiment around and see how it sounds. But if you want an easy way to do it, one of the you could use as the general rule, uh, just for every for the notes that are on the beat, use notes that are in the triad. But don't do that too much because then it'll get really boring. Um, so experiment changing it around to other notes as well. But as a general rule, that that can often lead to uh, good sounds. Um, and then, of course, there's you know there's other there are other aspects of melody besides what notes you're starting on, like you know the value of the notes and the uh, the contour of the melody overall, which I'm not even discussing here. Um, and a lot of that, you know, you can analyze for ages and still not have any concrete mathematical way to get at it. You just kind of have to have an ear for it. Not that there isn't a mathematical way for it somehow, but you get a sense of melody by, you know, listening to other melodies. So it's not something that there would ever be a purely mathematical formula for anyway. Because it would have to come from listening to other melodies. Blah, 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 blah. You get what I'm saying, I'm sure. Um, so that's basically all I have to say about writing melodies to chord progressions for now, anyway. Maybe I'll talk about it later, but probably not because it's kind of boring. But what I'm tempted to do is go through this entire Mozart piece, uh, this entire first movement of his 40th symphony, and just, you know, write a different melody to all the harmony throughout the piece because that could give me not only some more ideas in my own pieces of what to do with the harmony, because, um, you know, it would make me have to look at all Mozart's harmony, but it would also give me a better sense of the overall structure of some of his pieces, because I've, I've never written anything in sonata form. I don't know if I really could if somebody wanted me to, because I've never actually tried. And, I uh, you know, sonata form really is kind of boring anyway I, you know, I've never written anything in sonata form so you know it must not be that great <laughs> so all that being arrogantly said we can move on to uh, Dragon of the Mist which hopefully we can finish today okay Dragon of the Mist my such beautiful piece that Mozart could never compose let's not compare geniuses Let's just get right into Dragon of the Mist. Where do we leave off? Aha. Here we go. Yep, this is it. Okay, so when we last left off last week, we had just come to the uh, modulation up to E major. And after that modulation up to E major, I played a little of it, but I uh, I didn't. I, I can, I'll, I'll play it again right now. Basically, it went up to E major, and we're playing the main melody again. Sounds like this.
Um, so that's the main melody in the clarinets, bassoons, and violas. In the flute and alto flute, I believe I have in this piece. I usually use a flute and alto flute or a flute and piccolo for my orchestral pieces. I never seem to have two flutes, which I don't know if that's good or not, but who cares. In the piccolo and flutes, I don't know how audible it was through my in this podcast I don't know how audible it was but they had a little three note filler phrase which sounded just like this and that's just from and that just helps it to be less boring and who really cares about that that's not hardly worth mentioning at all Okay, now this next part is where I start out with a chord progression and then I uh, basically write a bunch of melodies to it and then I write another melody to it and I write another melody to it and I kind of just let the melodies build on one another so that there's hardly any uh, sophisticated academic counterpoint going on between the melodies as probably there should be. Um, It's just melodies that go with the chord progression overlapping with each other. Which is the same kind of thing I've done in other pieces as well. Usually anywhere I have melodies overlapping would be where. Um, I think, for example, canon number two in C major, which was for a string quartet and really was not a canon at all. So it was inspired by Pachelbel's canon, which is why I called it a canon. But Pachelbel's canon, you know, is like a real canon. And mine was not but in that piece I had the bass line going over and over again uh, for you know outlining a certain chord progression and then I just wrote a bunch of melodies to that chord progression and just kind of arranged them for the string quartet so it it you know they they all were overlapping and all kind of messed up mixed up so that's kind of what I do here. I think I at least try to keep them at least in separate registers, but I don't really care too much about that. In a way, the tone quality of the instruments, of the separate instruments playing uh, the melodies should be able to help the listeners separate the melodies out from one another so it doesn't sound like they're, you know, while they might be overlapping note value-wise, they're not hopefully they're not you know the audience members aren't getting confused over which melody is which because there's that tone difference which works a lot better in or in an orchestral setting than it does for a string quartet i haven't i can't remember what what harmony i used here and i don't feel like figuring it out right now but here's the uh what one of the first melodies sound like when it comes in so this is right after we had repeated the main theme, after the shift up to E major. So we went up to E major, we said the main theme again, and now we're starting some new melodies. And we're basically, what we're doing at this point is we're going to, for a while now, we're going to be building up to the climax of the piece. Um, so it starts gentle with... Uh, this melody in the violins and I think a horn sounds like this And then it repeats itself. And I think it keeps repeating itself until until it stops repeating itself. Uh, and I, th- I think it's about three or four more times it repeats itself. Uh, one thing to note is that on the uh, fourth measure, which sounds like this, you know, it's just two notes. But if I go ahead and play that with the harmony... You can hear that the harmony was on a, um, that's a, uh, five, Roman numeral five triad, the dominant triad, 
of the key scale we're in now. Um, the second note is part of that triad. The first note of that measure was not in the triad, so it does, as I said before, it creates that tension that it feels like it needs to lead somewhere. If I go ahead and uh, that, if I transpose that second note down a third, it should also sound okay. It would sound like this. So it still goes with the chord progression, and that first note is still creating a tension, that kind of tension, that kind of leading, I don't know what the technical word for it is. See, aren't you learning so much on the compose pile? You don't even, I don't even know anything that I can tell you. But it creates that tension, and so it would work if it went up or down. Um, but since the contour of the rest of the melody is kind of going up at that point, it would, I think if you listen to the overall melody, it would s sound kind of weird going down at that point, which is usually how I determine things. Is when you know when a fragment of a melody ends on the uh, five, on Roman numeral five on that triad, what determines what I do at that point really depends on the rest of the melody. Isn't that interesting? I'm sure it is. Um, if we change that first note so that it is in the triad, let's see how that would sound. It would probably sound okay, but you wouldn't have that leadingness to it. Let's see, it would sound like this. So it works, but it doesn't sound nearly as good. At least I think it works. But it just doesn't sound quite as engaging. Uh, let's see, the second melody that comes in, it looks like I have it in the English horn and clarinet, and I double it with the violins. And that sounds like this when it first comes in. So that melody, I I had the chord progression there, and I just wrote that melody to fit the chord progression without any thought to much else. And in addition to that melody playing, it's all the uh, trombone, uh, not the trombone, the horn is continuing to play that last melody. So that is still in the mix, and then of course we have the harmonial accompaniment from the harp and the lower strings. So all together we basically had that first melody and then added another layer to the cake with another melody. So it sounded like this all together. So you get the first melody, then you get a second melody on top of that first melody, and now you get a third melody. So you have three melodies playing all together to the same chord progression. And uh, I think when people do this, it's pretty much a sign of genius. So you should definitely do it. And since I already did, that means I'm already genius. Uh, so the third melody comes in in the flute and I think the strings take it as well. So the strings always seem to get to play the new melody when it comes in. Meanwhile, the horn is playing an old melody, the English horn and the clarinet are playing an old melody, and now we have the new melody. So let's see, the new melody sounds like this by itself.
Another thing I guess I should note is that if you listen to these melodies, they all have a different, um, I don't want to say it's really a different rhythm, but they're all composed of different kinds of note values. So like that second melody had a bunch of eighth notes in it. Uh, this third melody that we're doing has a bunch of quarter notes in it. And the first melody had like a mix of half notes and quarter notes. You know, in my opinion, you would want the uh, each of the melodies to have their own character in that way, to have you know to be composed of those different kinds of note values, so that they can again be easier to differentiate. If they were all you know four, if they were all melodies with quarter notes, then it would instead of being counter melodies, they'd almost really just be counterpoint to one melody to whichever melody was on top. But having more activity in one melody while there's less activity in the other really, you know, makes them separate. I'm not sure. <laughs> That's probably really obvious, but I guess worth mentioning. Maybe. Hopefully. Of course it was. Um, so if we put all those three melodies together, it all together sounds like this. So that's all three melodies together. I don't know how well it sounds in this podcast, but if you listen to the MP3 on my website, you should be able to, you know, pull out any of, you know, whichever melody you liked the most. You should be able to follow it in that part. You should be able to, you know, pick it out of those three melodies. Uh, obviously, the third one that had just come in is the loudest one because it has the string supporting it. But if you wanted to, you should be able to follow the English horn and clarinet playing that second melody. And if you want, you should still be able to hear the trombone. The trump. I keep saying it's a trombone. You should still be able to hear the horn uh, still playing the first melody. And now, because we're still building up to the climax, we go up to A flat major, which is another uh, modulation up a major third. And when that happens, we still have those uh, three melodies basically just repeating themselves. But we have two things that happen. The, the first violins play yet another melody. It's not really a new melody. It's really just a variation on the uh, third melody, on that last third melody. And that sounds something like this. Basically, all I did was I replaced a few of those quarter notes with eighth notes. So they had a little more music, a little more... They had they had more notes in them. In fact, I think they had too many notes. If I had cut a few, it would have been perfect. No, um, they had the perfect amount of notes. So I just took out some of those quarter notes and replaced them with eighth notes. So they have, you know, more, <laughs> more notes. Um, the other thing I do here to... Uh, also help increase the tension was we finally get some percussion in here uh, and it's nice and slow and steady for sounds like this and it's just the snare drum over and over again which helps to you know keep the beat I guess and you know it adds something to it because we're again slowly building up to that climax so if we play that all together with all the uh, with that percussion, the harmony, and now four melodies or three melodies and one variation of a melody with the original melody still playing, we get that all together sounds like this.
uh, so you can hear at that vi near the uh, very end of those melodies, the snare drums got louder, and that's because we're we're you know still going toward that climax. Um, so we had we have we had all those you know four melodies playing at that one part, and now we're going to we're getting toward the climax, so we're gonna make a big kind of a loud boom, and we're gonna go back to just one melody. And that's that melody that we've heard before. Uh, I think it was melody uh, theme number two. Um, and that comes in in the flute. And finally it's coming in in some brass as well. The horn and the trumpet. Uh, the tuba is now helping with the harmony playing uh, root bass notes. Which, you know, kind of helps with the power. And we also get the bass drum with the percussion. And then, of course, the strings are also helping out on the melody. So that sounds kind of like this. So you could hear at the very end there, I have another little phrase with the, um, I have that in the trumpet and horns, just that three note descending motif, boom, boom, boom. And those are basically some leading notes into the climax of this piece. Man, it came so soon. Can you believe it? Feels like just last week we were just beginning this piece, and now we're to the climax. Um, so if I go ahead and uh, oh, uh, another thing I have in there is the harp arpeggios once again go from uh, being made up of eighth notes to being made of rapid arpeggios in sixteenth notes, which again helps with the pace of the rhythm. I guess you could say. So since I have 16th notes instead of 8th notes, it sounds more rapid and hopefully more exciting. So let's see if I play it from the last measure with 8th notes, it sounded like this. to get into the climax of the piece so it has that you know rapidness to it again so you have the brass being the loudest it's been so far in the piece you have the harp playing those rapid uh 16th note six yeah 16th notes arpeggios um and you also have the percussion really pounding on the rhythm there which you didn't have throughout the entire piece as well um so the climax and here we are at the climax um so again i had since i had those uh the harp changed from eighth and eight a blah man I'm, i just can't talk today i quit goodbye just kidding i had the harp Go from eight notes to sixteen notes, as if you want to hear me say that again. So now I also have the strings go to sixteenth notes, and basically I and I do this a lot in a lot of my music, trying to stop the habit. But I have these rapid descending arpeggios, basically. And if you watch the video of Dragon of the Mist on YouTube, it's at this part that there are so many notes that the uh, music animation machine can't really render it very well quickly so it kind of really bogged down the video and so it, if I had to go back and remake the video I'd you know take out I you know leave one line of these rapid arpeggios in but I you know I don't need the four lines that I have in here I think I have four yeah I have four I have four lines of that 
I have those rapid arpeggios being played uh, in the harp in two octaves in the harp. So whoever who's ever is playing the harp has to play pretty well with both hands. Um, and then I have it in the first violins and second violins, which means the melody, the main theme, is being played in the violas, uh, a lot of the woodwinds, and a lot of the brass. And it's just being doubled all over the place. Not, well, more than doubled, like, you know, uh, however many instruments there are doubled. So if I just play those rapid arpeggios, which outline the harmony, but also give this climax excitement, sounds like this. <laughs> And just listening to that, you know, just really makes you excited, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, maybe. Um, another thing I have is the, at this part, the bass drum goes from pounding once every measure to twice every measure, which is, you know, just another increase in measure note abundance. And uh, the snare drum also pretty much doubles in the amount of notes it has per measure again making the beat more more rapid making the making it much less common more exciting so when you add in those percussion instruments it sounds like this <laughs> But I also, of course, have to introduce the symbols uh, at this point, because it's the climax. You have to have symbols crash. Um, this climax is very similar to the climax I had in the Waltz of Pegasus. And in fact, the uh, main melody of this piece I had composed I had composed the main melody for this piece before I had composed Waltz of Pegasus. But the main theme of Waltz of Pegasus is actually a variation on this main theme. So what I had done is I had this main theme. I, for some reason, decided to write a waltz, and I used a variation on this main theme to write that waltz. Uh, and then when it came to the climax of this piece, it is it... It is extremely uh, similar to this climax right here, with the in the sense that it has the rapid percussion and then those sixteenth notes, uh, rapid descending arpeggios in the strings and harp. I think I yeah, so it's pretty much the exact same thing in both of them. Um, so that's the that's the climax. I didn't play with the main theme yet. This is how it sounds all together. So you can definitely hear the tuba adding power to the harmony. Playing, it's just playing the root notes of the chords. Um, and you can hear that most of the uh, power behind the melody comes from the horns and trumpet. Uh, let's see, moving right along, we now, since it's in the climax, what better place to modulate up another major third? Uh, this time going back to C major, which is what the key started out in. But this can't merely be just a repetition. I again add some more notes to each measure with the snare drum. So the snare drum has even more notes to pound on the drum for. And I also put in uh, the tambourine, which has a rhythm that sounds like this. 
if I play, if I go ahead and put in the uh, snare drum and bass drum and cymbals in there, just so you can get a sense of where the beats are. Um, so that hopefully again just helps make the climax more exciting. Altogether, that sounds like this. But you can't really get the full effect unless you, of course, listen to the modulation that had taken place just a measure before. Which sounded like this. But that was the climax. That was it. If you were expecting more, sorry, that's it. Too bad. And <laughs> that's that's the climax. Um, like I I do this. I don't want to say I do this in a lot of pieces, but I do it in a few other pieces. Since we just played the climax, I now have a brand new melody, and this brand new melody will soon crescendo into kind of like another climax, almost like an alter ego climax. Uh, okay, that's not the right word. An anti-climax? No, it's not really anti. It's almost like a second climax, I guess. The epilogue climax. Um, and this comes with a completely new melody. Uh, since we were just in, since that entire climax had a lot of major chords to it, and I do this a lot as well after I have, you know, the climax being in major, I have to have the next melody be minor just so you can get that contrast. Uh, so that main, so that I guess this would be theme four, if we're not counting any of the themes of the other themes. I did let's say those other themes counted so we're up to theme seven yeah let's say this is theme seven. Oh, who knows what it is it's I'll, I'll, it's, it's theme seven and that gets introduced uh, we're really quieting down the instruments we have no more brass now and so this gets introduced on the flute and violins I said there was no brass, but actually the trumpet, I believe it is, does come in in the second half of that. the percussion is dying down because the climax is over but it still isn't going to go away completely because we have some more climax to do sort of uh, at this next part this kind of references the beginning of the piece near the beginning of the piece I had those celestas in fact I guess I can just go back to the beginning of the piece we had the celesta playing those that little arpeggio And it was so beautiful, and a lot of people wrote to me and said that they cried at that part. Okay, not really. So at this part, we have the same sort of thing, only this time we're giving it different orchestration. It's going to be in the the alto flute, the flute, uh, the celesta again, and the second violins. And that this is just a reference back to the beginning of the piece. 
sort of like a return, like, okay, the climax is over, maybe we might go back home soon or something like that. I, I don't know, but it sounds like this. So, and this is all sort of an interlude before the final climax of the piece. And then we have the wind down slash resolution kind of thing. Uh, so now the second climax is that theme number seven or whatever I said it was. And again, we have the rapid arpeggios in the violins and in the harp. And they all sound kind of like this. got a lot going on at this point cellos and double basses are still playing whole notes of the the root note of the chords so they're probably very bored at this point but hopefully they're enjoying the music that is surrounding them and they won't complain um, at this point I also have another thing I do a lot that uh, I did not do anywhere else in this piece and that is you the use of staccato trombone notes those sound like this sound great in the final mix so I that's another thing I do a lot they're playing in a thirds I believe so that there's still some kind of harmony between them they're not playing exactly the same notes so you can tell that there are two trombones playing and they're you know playing in some harmony um, again I also have finally I also have some filler phrases here only really two of them the horn basically plays two really loud uh, filler phrases before joining in the f uh, end measure, the last two or one measure of the melody to help end it on a nice big brassy note. So all together this second climax with all the uh, brass and and the trombones and the tuba is still playing and the cymbals and the snare drum and the bass drum and the tambourine and the harp and everything else all together it sounds like this just so beautiful um uh finally we're dying down the piece is almost over and so we come once again to theme number two i want to say it is yeah theme number two and that's being played in the alto flute the flute and some strings i think the horn and yeah the first violins and the second violins the harp goes back down to playing eighth notes and now some quarter notes so we're really calming down now we have to because the piece is almost over and the celeste is also help helping with the harmony by playing some notes that are basically in the harmony so those sound like this
And with that, the piece is almost over. The final thing we need to do is go back and revisit the very first theme, theme number one, and just kind of slowly build up theme number one just a little, and then end. Just like... Just like a boom, a snap end. We have the harp returning to its Alberti bass as it was in the beginning. We have the violin cellos and double basses which haven't really done anything interesting through the entire piece but play bass notes. The root notes of the chords. And we have the uh, oboe playing the main melody by itself with the alto flute playing the filler phrase which is some 16th staccato notes uh, outlining basically a descending arpeggio. So that sounds like this. Okay, so it's really not that exciting by itself. It's just, you know, descending. The main theme is playing in the flute, and then it's later... I'm sorry, it's being played in the... Well, I'm not really that sorry, but it's playing in the oboe. It's playing in the oboe. It's later doubled by the second oboe. Meanwhile, the filler phrase is doubled by the flute. Um, the horns and the trumpet join in the main melody to give it some strength, but they're still, they're not really playing with all their strength, they're kind of playing at a pianissimo. The snare drum comes in to pound out a beat, and the violins also join in the, uh, doubling of the theme number one. So basically, all together, the end sounds like this. So at that last final chord, which is just so beautiful, you can hear that I, not only do I use a lot more, I use just about all the instruments in the orchestra, but I also use the uh, bass drum. You know, without that bass drum, it would sound very strange. And I also use the snare drum. Without the snare drum or the bass drum, it would sound very strange. You know, it works, but it doesn't have that kind of oomph behind it, which is what the uh, bass drum provides. And that is just about the piece, and that is the end of the Dragon of the Mist. And that is also the end of this episode, I believe. Now I have to edit it and do a lot of editing to edit out all my coughing and blathering. Thank you for listening. Hope you learned something. I didn't really learn anything. Actually, I learned. I learned so much today. Okay, I didn't really learn anything at all. Uh, but it was a lot of fun. It gets really confusing near that climax. I don't really know what to say. Uh, I have no idea what piece I'm going to analyze next. So if you have any requests or ideas, then you can go ahead and post them somewhere or email them to me. I don't, I just, whatever you want to do. But I do want to go on and uh, analyze another piece of my music, or if you have any more questions about this piece. I think I've, I think I've covered so much that I don't imagine how there could be any questions at all. But if there are, then uh, just think about them and have an, an answer will come to you without me having to do anything at all. No, if you have a, well, yes, but if also if you have a question, you can always email me or or pray to me, and maybe I'll hear it after I die. Okay, thanks for listening. Hope you join me next week when I analyze uh, 
the harp and Celesta duet or something really, really easy <laughs> like that, maybe, or not. I don't know. We'll figure it out. I'll figure it out somehow. Thanks for listening, and have a good week. Goodbye.